Hello and welcome to Future Thinking with Stylus, coming to you this week from New York. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. And today we're going to be talking about the future of travel in a world where a new generation of travelers is demanding a more diverse, hands-on and eco-conscious set of experiences. To discuss this, I'm joined by David Plotz, the CEO of travel company Atlas Obscura. Uh, before joining Atlas Obscura, David was editor-in-chief of Slate, and he continues to host Slate Political Gabfest podcast. And I'm also joined by Amelia Marano-Williams, assistant editor at Stylus US. Thank you both for being here. So first of all, David, for those who may not know Atlas Obscura, could you tell us a bit about its mission? Obscura is a travel and media company based in Brooklyn, New York, with the goal of helping people explore the world's hidden wonders. And we are a media company in the sense that we have a website with 7 million readers, most of which uh, is devoted to a, a, an atlas of some of the world's most remarkable, strange places, the root bridges of Cherrapunji, India, or the hidden caves in New Zealand by glowworms. And then we also publish books about those wonders. We have a number one best-selling book called Atlas Obscura, and we take people on trips to visit some of those wonders all around the world. And we also host local events in cities, mostly in the U.S. for the moment, where we do short tours of some of the most uh, remarkable, strange places in your local city. So this is um, a fairly crowded market, I would imagine. What do you think um, sets Atlas Obscura apart in terms of its, uh, the kind of trips that you're, you're organizing? built over the past decade a huge audience of people who trust us to show them the world's most unusual places. So I think where Atlas really distinguishes ourselves is that we, uh, because of this Atlas of Hidden Wonders that we've created, are trusted to show people the place that might be off the beaten track, the place that hasn't, uh, isn't overrun with tourists. And so when we build our trips and local experiences, we're able to build trips and local experiences to take people to places that they didn't even know they wanted to go or give them behind-the-scenes access to a place that, that might seem familiar to them on the surface. And so it's this, uh, it's this ability to take people a little bit deeper, a little bit stranger to some place that's a little bit more wondrous and different than the, the normal run of, of, a, of a trip somewhere. Why do you think it is that there's this desire to um, go into more sort of extreme or uh, more obscure experiences? What do you think is driving that trend? A couple of big things driving it. First of all, uh, travel in general is growing globally. There's just a huge demand for travel. And so as you have a huge demand for travel, you have a huge demand for differentiation in travel. And, and I think what we're seeing is a lot of people, especially people in the United States and in Western Europe or North America and Western Europe who maybe have done familiar travel. They've been to Paris, they've been to Rome, uh, they've seen Venice, and they're looking for something that's a little bit distinctive now. They want to have a, a, an experience that isn't just the same as the as the package tour that their parents went on or the cruise that their parents went on. And that gives them a real hunger for the kinds of experiences that Atlas Obscura offers to go visit the, the uh, gates of hell in Turkmenistan or to go tour the spominics of, of the Balkans. And, and that uh, access. 
appetite for the new is is really important. And also, I think, I mean, this is something I'm sure that you talk about a ton on Stylus, is that this strong belief that experiences are more valuable than objects. And we, we see this is a generational shift. It's a, it's a shift, maybe actually it's across generations, it's a shift of our moment. As people whose material needs are met, think about what they want. They've come to recognize that experience is valuable and distinctive experience is especially valuable. Do you think that's the case across the board in terms of, of uh, generations or is this something that's being driven particularly by younger generations of travellers? Is generational. I think it's of our moment. I think it's so. So I'm sure it's true that younger travelers uh, feel this, and, and there's an appetite among younger travelers. But we see this at Atlas Obscura because our travelers actually span. Uh, they span the ages. So we have 20 year olds on our on our trips, but we also have 70 year olds on our trips. And I think it's much more. It's much more sensibility. There's been a recognition. And I don't know whether it's just the result of tremendous prosperity that there are people who, whose material needs have been met, as I said, or it's something else. But I think people have really come to cotton to this idea that the way you create a lasting memory, the way you create something that has value for you for a long time is through experience and experience with other human beings. And it's not simply through owning something. I think that's really interesting to touch on the generational point as well. We recently um, were looking at Gen Z travel trends, and a Spotify study found that 32% of Gen Z travelers see themselves as global citizens, which I think is interesting to go into this idea, as you mentioned, of people wanting to go to those less visited destinations. I think now you're seeing that even if people haven't been to the Parises and Amsterdams of the world, they still want to go off the beaten track. But also to your point about this being a real cross-generational shift, I think it's interesting to see how Gen Z and younger travelers are really taking this new outsized, perhaps, role in family travel planning. We were recently looking at kind of new travel planning for Gen X, actually, and we noticed that there's this a tool that Virtuoso, a travel uh, planning agency in the UK, launched to help families crowdsource their travel planning. So it's almost like a Pinterest where people can collect different things and really get this cross-generational idea about experiences and how you're seeing families take on this experiential shift of travel. I think that's a good point that is cross-generational now. Earlier there, David, you mentioned a couple of the trips that uh, Atlas Obscura promotes. Um, I, I'd be interested to hear some more about specifically specific examples of some of the crazier ones that you uh, that, that the website promotes. Because I mean, uh, I'm sure it's escaped no one's notice recently that there's some pretty insane destinations that are that are cropping up. Um, Chernobyl being one of the ones in the news recently as a result of uh, the HBO series has suddenly become a, a destination, not the kind of normal place that you expect people to want to go to, but there is seemingly this desire for uh, almost a kind of extremism in terms of, of travel destination, a, a, a pushing of limits, uh, so to speak. Um, do, you, uh, do you serve that kind of need too with Atlas Obscura? I would just draw, draw a distinction between, I think, adventure travel, where the idea is to, to maybe push your body to a physical extreme, and the kind of travel that Atlas Obscura tends to promote, which is much more intellectual adventure, which is that we want to to really immerse people in culture and uh, take them to a place they wouldn't otherwise have access to, but it's not it, it is not an attempt to break them down 
and and to physically exhaust them. So we've gone to Chernobyl for years. We've taken trips to Chernobyl as part of a, a general trip to Ukraine that we've been doing, and, and you spend a day in the exclusion zone around Chernobyl, and that's clearly the highlight. Um, the example I gave before, the Gates of Hell, the Gates of Hell is this amazing place in Turkmenistan, which was a Soviet uh, natural gas Accident. I actually come to think of Chernobyl and the Gates of Hell are similar, both, both energy, Soviet energy industry accidents, but it's created this flaming pit in the middle of the Kokorum Desert in Turkmenistan that is magical and strange. And so you go, it's a, it's a week plus long trip to Turkmenistan where you see all the heights of the, the, all the sites of this wonderful country, the highlight of which is camping next to the Gates of Hell, this flaming pit in the desert. Um, and 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 so, uh, in our case, it's not the, there's not a sense of danger. You're no, you're not when you're in Chernobyl or when you're at uh, at the gates of hell. You're not in danger. It's more a sense that you're going to a place that is unusual and has a fascinating history and there's a fascinating cultural story behind it. Uh, and that's what we tend to focus on. There are other companies, of course, that will that will take you up Kilimanjaro or will put you on a bike trip that you'll, uh, that will challenge you in ways you've never been on. We're much more about the intellectual challenge of it. I think the Chernobyl case is actually a really interesting one to look at because you, people have been talking about it so much and as this new thing that people are all of a sudden go there in this very dark tourism, kind of exploiting this past tragic accident way. But as you mentioned, you know, there have been tours going there for a long time and it is possible to do it in a really ethical way. I'm really interested in some of these tours that are coming out now that are actually getting survivors of the disaster to come and talk with the people who are there so they have a more nuanced understanding and building in this educational and, as you mentioned, intellectual component to these tours so we can look at things like dark tourism in a more positive way and think about how these trends can be used as forces for good. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I actually, can I just jump in there for sure, one second sure. on Amelia's point, which is just Atlas Obscure does not do dark tourism. I think we are we are troubled by the tendency of, to to sort of look at to look at disaster or to look at uh, to look at suffering in any kind of touristic way. I think where the the trips that we do to Chernobyl, the all of the trips that we do are aimed at kind of cultural connection with people who live in places and and deep, rich cultural immersion and an appreciation of those places. Uh, so it is, I think it's very important um, that your listeners, there's a strong distinction between exploring places that are off the beaten track and they have indeed they have a tragic history as part of them and this sense of building connection and, and meeting people and being deeply immersed in a place, which is what we really strive for. So there's a, there's a sort of a tension here, is there not, between you're talking about um, inspiring travel to off-the-beaten-track places and so on, but obviously as a business you'll be aiming to scale that um, to, to more and more people. So how do you uh, try to tackle this problem of, well, the bigger we get, the less off-the-beaten-track these places are going to become? Um, you know, what, 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 how do you approach that problem? It's a genuine issue, and I think uh, that is something which, um, if we reach a big enough scale, really becomes a problem. I think everyone looks at what has happened in Venice and what's happened in Barcelona 
and what's happening in Paris. And uh, everyone in, in the travel industry looks at it with, with worry because there is this quite distinct danger of over-tourism and it makes life difficult for locals and it creates a, a sometimes unpleasant experience even for tourists. We fortunately have a long way to go. The places we're going are, are still quite under-touristed for the most part and uh, the scale that we're at is still quite, uh, we're still pretty small and we think there's a huge amount of capacity to build before that becomes a real issue. And we are, we're alert to it. And so one thing we, we really focus on is having a variety of new trips. So there are very few trips that we run that we are trying to run at a frequency, which, which uh, we think is over tourism. You can't, um, you can't take too many groups to, to, squid fishing or go not squid fishing, go studying squid in Hawaii um, before it starts to be overwhelming. So, so for us, it is, it is kinds of trips. And then we do think there's a, there's real space to grow before we start really contributing to the over-tourism problem, which is a real problem. I think the paradox that you mentioned too, Christian, about the idea that as more people go to places, they do come off the beaten track leads to a really interesting trend that we've been noticing in a rise of staycations and is one thing that's also really interesting to look at with Atlas Obscura and their experiences where you're seeing people inject these moments of travel into their everyday routine. So it's not just, I have to go on this big ticket destination, but how can I make a weekend trip that's about two, three days and go somewhere nearby that's a second or third tier city that doesn't get that much tourism and really connect with this local community. So I think that's a really interesting area of growth and that we'll be seeing more of these small bite-sized trips and tours coming up in the coming years. I'm so glad you said that. And and one of our mottos at Atlas Obscura is that exploration is for everyone and exploration that you can explore across the world, but you can also explore around the corner from you. So if you go to Atlas Obscura right now, wherever you are in the world, practically, and you type in what's near me, you press the what's near me button, there will be 10, 50, 130 places near you, some of which you might have been to, but a lot of you would which you've never heard of. I've lived in Washington, D.C. my whole life, and constantly there's a place in Washington, D.C. I haven't heard of that I can go explore on the weekend or that I could go to Richmond, Virginia and make a two-day trip of the sort you described, which I did, in fact, earlier this year. So that's a, that is a, that's a really good point. And that's also one of the ways in which I, I know that you, Christian, you, in your introduction, you talked about, um, I think you were talking about uh, sort of concerns about environmentalism and, and, and travel. People have concerns about travel and its effect on, on climate change. And one of the things that we really focus on is that you don't need to take an international flight to have an amazing experience exploring the world. There are things that you can do, hop on your bike and see around the corner from you almost anywhere in this country that will be surprising and will give you a sense that the world is bigger and stranger and more wonderful than you thought. It's a very good point, really inspiring. Um, I should mention, I want to talk about the fact that this week that we are here recording uh, this podcast, you have uh, announced that you'll be stepping down as CEO of Atlas Obscura, but you will still be playing a a major role in the company. But um, in the letter that you wrote explaining your reasons, you talked about how the company was pivoting to focus more on experiences uh, rather than be the sort of uh, media company that um, that you joined and we're running. So I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about um, 
the, that idea that there is there still a role for digital media companies to be purely focused on media, um, or does a media company have to diversify uh, into the into different revenue generating generating fields like you know experiences and trips and events and so on? Is that something that you think is inevitable? Media companies need a diversity of revenue, and the companies that you saw that a decade ago could make a run at it just on digital advertising revenue have all essentially run into trouble. And the ones that haven't run into trouble to trouble have really sought diversity of revenue. And I think you can seek diversity of revenue in different ways. So there's been a group that has thought it in subscription services and the New York Times, of course, is a champion of that. And then some of the smaller kind of nichier niche brands that provide useful information have done really well with subscription services. There's folks who've sought diversity through podcasting, uh, which is a great new source of revenue. And then I think there's a, there's a group of us, and I would put us at, among the forefront, who recognize that experiences are a real natural fit for the brand. So if you look at food and travel, media brands in particular, there's been this growing recognition that if that we ha- we are trusted to provide information about these these subjects and now we could be trusted to, to actually be, be providers of experiences as well. And so we that's certainly been our belief is that we could not survive and prosper in the way that we want to as a media company alone. And that in that it, that the experiences piece of this is powerful. It, it is uh, we have a unique advantage. We are we are able to market to a huge swath of readers and uh, and so that's where what we've pursued. I don't think there are many media companies that can get by on the traditional media models in digital media that we've seen over the past twenty years. That's interesting, though, because I I, I mean uh, we work with a lot of brands, obviously, who are um, you know becoming media companies to to a certain extent. They're they're, they're creating their own in-house studios. They're producing web series. Um, and I, 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 it's funny how it seems to be that from the brand perspective, there is a lot of um, growth potential in creating content. But from a content creator's perspective, um, it's becoming more and more about, as you say, events and experiences than it is about the content itself. I mean, uh, do, you, do you think that, that brands are deluding themselves about this idea that, that content can drive engagement or is there still a wealth of opportunity there? So interesting. That's such a great point. I, I think brands are being so smart when they do that. And actually, we haven't talked about this, but Atlas Obscura has a big partnership now with Airbnb. Airbnb just led our latest investment round, and we're, all of our trips and experiences we're making available through the Airbnb platform. And um, we're working very closely with Airbnb, and it's really interesting to watch Airbnb, which is this huge platform, also start to move into the content business, recognizing that people don't simply want utility from the brands they're dealing with. They don't simply want the product. They, they need some form of inspiration from it. And that's what media does. Media creates inspiration. It creates feeling. It creates emotion. And that strengthens the connection that people can have with the brand. So I think it is absolutely the case that um, brands should move into media. And I think it's also the case that media should move into experiences or media should move into podcasts, but that, that, that both of them need to move more towards this, um, more, more towards the synergistic uh, model. 
And, and some of it works, you know, it will work better for some brands and some media brands than it does for others. But in general, I think it's, it, there's opportunity for brands to move into media. And I, love, I actually love it. I love seeing it. And there's so much clever stuff happening there. I think that hybridization is also really interesting to look at from a consumer attitudes perspective because you do see people who are wanting to take their digital experiences and bring it into real life. I mean, the boom a couple of years ago in Instagrammable experiences, I think, was kind of a good, odd example of this. You know, people see the digital stuff, but they want to be able to go and have that and touch the spaces for themselves. Um, but at the same time, I think it's also interesting to see how people who do have the media want to take it online and be able to experience it in their increasingly rich digital selves. So I think this hybridization that we're looking at will really just continue in new and interesting ways in the coming year. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting trends that I've been <coughs> looking at recently is brands creating um, documentaries. Uh, we've seen this a lot in the past few months. Um, it seems to be a trend that's growing and I noticed that um, from my reading about Atlas Obscura um, you're doing a partnership with the production house Plan B to start developing docu-series uh, which makes perfect sense because it's such a rich area uh, a rich subject for documentary traveling um, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to ask you David why you think it's it is such an effective engagement tool and why we're seeing so many um, brands get into this area. When you think about creating emotional connection with with your users, with your travelers, with, with your readers, um, it, all brands aspire to do. Brands need emotional connection. It is the relationship. If you have a relationship, which is a useful relationship with your customers, that is not going to last. You don't really have a brand. The brand is built on the emotional connection. And nothing is as effective as building emotional connection as, as the, watching a human story unfold on screen. Or actually, I would argue in your years, I think podcasts is a, is a tremendous place of opportunity for brands that pursue it in the right way because the, the human voice is the number one way that people sort of make an emotional connection with others, even more than looking at something. Radio and podcasting is such a warm medium that, that I think there's great opportunity there. Well, I, for one, will be looking forward to visiting the Gates of Hell. I'm kind of surprised that it's not located in the hotel that I'm staying in in Manhattan. But um, I'd like to thank my guests, David Plotz and Amelia Morano-Williams. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 